Whether you're a seasoned expert or concerned citizen, we invite you to join us on Outer Insights. With in-depth interviews, engaging discussions, and expert analysis, Outer Insights offers a fresh perspective on the issues that matter most. Outer Insights, where the conversation never stops. So tune in and let's dive in together. It's my pleasure to welcome Rachel Fisher, the Parliamentary Engagement and Research Manager at Auto, to this podcast with special guests today, Nikki van Riet. She's Head of Legal and Investigations at Corruption Watch and Robin Pacensi, Political Party Funding Researcher, and she's from My Vote Counts. We are having a very important discussion today on political party funding and the act that is currently being challenged in court. Am I correct? Yes, indeed. And um, as you've rightly indicated, we have Nikki and Robin with us. Nikki, if I can reach out to you first, tell us a bit more about Corruption Watch. Thanks so much for having me with you today, uh, firstly. But um, yeah, to answer your question, Corruption Watch is a nonprofit organization. It's been operating for just over 10 years, and it uses various channels to um, ensure that custodians of public resources act responsibly to advance the interests of the public and to ensure that opportunities for entering into corrupt relationships are, are reduced. So, Nikki, if we consider corruption, but now also this political party funding and your interest in it, why is Corruption Watch at all interested in political party funding? I once heard a really interesting TED talk on political funding, and it used an anecdote about a U.S. congresswoman. Um, her name was Leslie Brenham. And she went on to relay advice she received from a Capitol Hill colleague, and that was always lean to the green. And she then goes on to clarify that her colleague was not an environmentalist, and with that anecdote, you know, it really does capture the age-old and global link between money, party politics, and modern democracy. You know, and the, the, the epic revelations of state capture, which came out through the Zondo Commission, clearly show that it is, in fact, not the voters that have the ultimate influence over elected officials. It's the funders of polit politicians and political parties who do bear that ultimate influence. You know, if we look at examples like uh, the Passaso example coming from uh, the Zondo Commission, you know, for a, a bribe of about 75 million, they were awarded state contracts worth over 2 billion rand, you know, it's kind of a, a significant return on investment, I'd say. Um, and what this example and many of the other examples emanating from Zondo shows is that our democracy really has become dependent on the agenda of the funder and not on the needs of the citizens um, of our country. And if one can financially control the person in power, one controls the business of that party. So in exchange, um, politicians and parties really are enriched and this contributes to the retention of power. And so it is a cycle. So this is a corruption of democracy um, as we see it and, and a, a corruption that we cannot ignore at all. That does sound concerning. And as you rightly indicated, this has been highlighted in the Zondo Commission and Yes, where there's money, money can corrupt, and the role of money within politics. And then particularly the knock-on effects, right, on our democracy with elections. So turning towards elections and the role the public can play in the importance of voting, Robin, representing My Vote Counts, please tell us more about your organization. 
Hi, Rachel. Um, yes, so I'm with my vote counts. Uh, last year, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary. And from the very, very beginning, my vote counts has been very interested in private funding, very broadly about political funding, um, obviously for our political parties and our politicians. And my vote counts is interested in broadly creating a democracy that is transparent to the public, that is also accountable to the public, and where every person feels that they are participating in how decisions get made in their democracy about them, essentially. Um, and we do that across three main programs. I've mentioned the one being party funding. We also do that through electoral research. And we also look at what we call intra-party democracy, which is how political parties function internally. We try and assess how democratic they are. And this is to understand how well they could govern if they were elected into any position of power. Thank you for that, Robin. What you were saying here in terms of elections and, and funding, we then see with the Political Party Funding Act itself, this does not particularly look at the public funding being allocated to political parties uh, because that also follows a different process through national treasury. Of concern in the discussions on the PPFA, it's particularly around private funding, isn't it? And Nikki, I just want to hear from you first. What do you see in terms of the private funding going to political parties that are more worrisome compared to public funding? If you're talking about the particular worrying trends that we, we are seeing insofar as, you know, the private funding are concerned, you know, we're noticing sort of trends on donations being made from groups of companies effectively controlled by same persons and people holding companies and the subsidiaries, you know, multiple shelf companies that could be utilized for donations and trusts, which are controlled by the same people. What's very worrying about this is private donors are working in a coordinated manner. One can really evade the requirements of the act and the reporting of donations can be avoided by doing sort of for example, multiple payments below 100K from multiple entities, but actually emanating from the same source, which could cumulatively exceed legally reportable thresholds or exceed donation caps. An example of how multiple companies and entities controlled by the same people can be utilized to circumvent reporting and uh, thresholds and donations can be seen through this example. And it's if you look at the donation that was made on the 25th of November, uh, there's a Russian-linked um, UMK company, United um, Manganese of Kalahari. If you look at that, there was a 15 million rand donation that was made to the ANC. Uh, the chairman of person of the board of UMK is Mkhopodi McQuenna. McQuenna is also the managing director of Chancellor House Holdings, PTY Limited. Chancellor House Trust, made a 7.5 million rand donation to the ANC on the 19th of August, 2022. Chancellor House Trust wholly owns Chancellor House Holdings and um, Shell-linked uh, Batu Batu Trust, which controversially has government support for seismic exploration in South Africa, um, also has ownership linkages to Chancellor House. They also made in-kind donations of 15 million on 20 October 2022. And then just in terms of that that full circle, there's also a donation made by an entity called Majestic Silver Trading for TPTY Limited, 
which has likewise made a donation of 2.5 million rand. And that um, entity cites Mokhopori McQuinn as well as a director. So you can see that there's sort of a spider web um, of links between the various uh, donors, uh, the private donors. In other words, what you're saying is it's 15 million being split up into different donations via different entities. So so what it shows, that example, is that you can exceed the, the cap, the 15 million rand cap, if you utilize different companies or different entities, different trusts, for example. So it's the same person controlling an entity. Now, clearly, as your example shows, um, Nikki, there are many channels then that can be followed to get funds to these political parties. You refer regularly to the thresholds. Robin, part of your research is very much focused on the upper and the lower thresholds. What are they? So presently, what you have in the party funding law are two threshold amounts or two limits. <clears throat> the first is 100,000 Rand. So if you are making a donation of 100,000 Rand or more, you must disclose. So it's important to keep in mind here that this is a dual disclosure. So what that means is that I, as the donor, must fill out the form to the IAC and say I've made whatever the donation is. And the the party themselves must also make the disclosure to say, yes, we have received it. And those two things offer some kind of check and balance. Then the other limit that we talk about is the 15 million rand per annum cap for a single donor to a political party. But I just want to add on to what Nikki has already said. So in her example, that was quite an excellent example of showing how you can be one person but control actually the flow of multi-million rand donations to a, a single party. So, I mean, I have another example that also illustrates this perhaps in a far simpler way is if you take somebody like Patrice Mutsepi. So through his two companies, Harmony Gold and African Rainbow Minerals, he donated to five of the 11 political parties that declared during the first year of the PPFA, which was 2021-2022 financial year. To the ANC alone, through those two companies, he donated upwards of 11 million rand, still under the threshold. But what the example shows is that, let's say he, in his personal capacity, had also decided, look, I also want to donate. Then as Patrice, the person, he had up to 15 million rand to also donate. He, through a third company, not to be confused with um, Batu Batu, but similarly named the Boto Boto Company, he did donate millions of rands to the ANC as well. And then we also have the example of the Oppenheimer family. So you had five different members of the Oppenheimer family donating to the DA and to Action SA, also multi-million rand donations. So you could argue, but this comes from the same source of wealth. There's, there's nothing in the, the law that's yet tracking that, well, what if this person gave 15 million rand to a friend or a family member or funneled it through a business and made that donation? There's nothing yet that limits that or talks to that in the law as it is now. So that upper limit of 15 million rand is actually relatively easy to circumvent. And it's not doing its job really in, in cutting off the opportunity for corruption as it should. 
and the purpose of the 100,000 rand threshold is supposed to be for us as the public to gain access to information that's important for the exercising of our right to vote. But the IEC recently published audited financial statements of political parties, and I just want to use that as my last example here. So during the first year of the, the PPFA, the DA declared just over 47 million rand in declared donations. So these are donations over 100,000 rand. However, when you look at the report compiled by the IEC, they've also noted those donations that are under the threshold amount, so under 100,000 rand. Cumulatively, the DA received over 17 million rand of donations under the threshold. Now, in that report from the IEC, if you as an ordinary member of the public were to look at it, you have no idea who made those contributions of 17 million rand, for example. We have no cross-check to see, well, where does this actually come from? But 17 million rand is not an insignificant amount of money. So you are still only getting a very small view of kind of the private funding picture. So that a 100,000 rand disclosing threshold is still not working quite as it should. Um, and then just as you mentioned, Rachel, the act only talks about private funding. This doesn't even cover all the funding a party would receive, which also includes... Um, public funding, which of course is, is regulated by other pieces of legislation, but that is also something to keep in mind when we look at this kind of information and try to get a grip on how much money is actually coming into our political parties. Thank you for that. And I mean, clearly, as you indicate, on the one hand, you've got Patrice Motsepe that can make donations from different avenues, but then you have one source like the family and they have different members that make these donations. What do you feel about the thresholds? Are they too high? Are they too low? Do you think they should be adjusted? Well, the short answer to what you've just asked is yes. <laughs> they are too high and they absolutely do need to be adjusted. So my vote count has obviously been looking at what the disclosures show us, what we can see, and it's become fairly apparent that, as, I, as I've said, the 100,000 rand as a disclosure threshold actually doesn't do enough to give us access to information that we need. It would be best if there were, in fact, no disclosure threshold and instead what you have is every piece of private funding that comes to a party having to be disclosed. Now, I know some political parties have complained uh, when this was still a bull um, about that kind of thing could be very tedious, onerous task, but they actually are already doing that to comply with the audited financial statement part of the law where they must, in fact, prepare those statements and give it to the IEC. And what we are saying is, while you are, are actually doing it, you are capable of doing it, just make those things public. And then on the upper limit of 15 million rand, this is really high. Um, Nikki has said this already. We, ha we have the example of state capture where you can see how money really works um, in, in politics, how, how easy it is to corrupt and control how the politics works through money. And 15 million rand is really high. So that does need to be lowered as well. We need, we need it to work as a mechanism that doesn't offer the opportunity for private individuals, especially to kind of get hold of our politicians and our politics 
and have a similar situation to what we, we saw during state capture. So that definitely needs to be lowered. When you speak of these thresholds and the different processes of disclosure, I mean, it all sounds very complex and you know political and technical. Nikki, why does this matter to the public, the everyday person? What should they know and, and how does it speak to their own interests? Political party funding and the laws that are relevant there too really do matter to the public. I really would argue that the Political Party Funding Act is, in fact, one of the most important piece of legislation on our books at the moment. And it's through incredibly hard work from various civil society organizations like My, My Vote Counts that actually got it there. So a big shout out to them for, for their efforts. This act really does give us an, a golden opportunity to get insight into why politicians make the decisions they do why they develop the policies they do and why they contract and engage in business the way they do. You know, knowledge around political party funding, which the Act offers to us, can give us explanations to situations that really sometimes leave the South African population scratching their heads over. So take the financial support that, that the ANC gets from the example we used earlier, which is the UMK. So UMK is as we've mentioned, linked to sanctioned um, Russian oligarch Victor Vexelberg, UMK is one of the biggest ANC funders. So this type of donation could offer up an explanation of why South Africa refused to criticize the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. It offers up an explanation as to why South Africa is possibly accused of supplying arms to, to Moscow, um, which of course walked us straight into a diplomatic crisis with the US and potentially why it's, you know, why South Africa re would refuse to arrest Vladimir Putin when he arrived, is, is due to arrive in South Africa later this year for the BRICS conference. You know, it, it really does give us more insight into why decisions are made. So I think the point of, of what I'm saying is, is that none of the decisions that happen politically happen in a vacuum and money influences policy making and political decision making. So the Political Party Funding Act matters to the public because knowledge of where your leaders' allegiances lie is power. And with knowledge, South Africans are empowered to hold their leaders to account for their decisions and to utilize their votes more wisely at the next elections. For it's, it's really only through transparency and accountability that the citizens of South Africa can start building a rebuilding a very, very broken political situation. Now, Nikki, you touched on two very important things there, right? Now, the, the impact of Russian funds, uh, the current discussions and discourses, issues in the media regarding this. Now, do you foresee at all any such interference or manipulation uh, in terms of political party funding and even otherwise in our elections next year? I must be honest, we, we're already really seeing meddling, I would say, um, with the elections around the corner. We, we are seeing the challenges to the PPFA already arising. It's, it's really interesting at the time of the promulgation of the act, there was enormous support. All the politicians came out and cheered for it. Two years later, the support is significantly wavering and not just from the ANC, but from parties like the DA too. So, of course, we all know about the, the ANC campaign in, in December 2022, where the ANC instructed um, its members to head out and with an attempt to amend the PPFA, calling um, for expanding of the funding thresholds and, and limitations and doing away with the cap release. From various reports, it's, it's noted that the party had already experienced financial difficulties prior to that. 
So an amendment to the threshold is unlikely to assist with financial difficulties that parties say they're finding themselves in. What an amendment would, however, do would be to renege on the party's stated commitment to transparency. By way of example, if this meddling were to take effect, if that threshold of raising the donation caps were to have been implemented already, we would not be privy to more than half of the published disclosures published in 2021 or in 2022 of those, that financial year, or for the reports released to date under 2022 and 2023, you know. And, and the only recourse to members of the public to see what those donations were would really be through a PIA application, which we all know would likely be rejected. Which is, it's, it's shocking. Robin, you, you spoke of the dual disclosures that need to occur. Now, those that donate money and those that receive money must disclose. And of course, the amounts must be the same. We can assume, right, that these are audited right? And then uh, there aren't any adjustments to in-kind donations, because in-kind donations must also be disclosed, don't they? Absolutely. The interesting thing about the in-kind donations is that, let's say I'm giving you a, a fleet of cars, for argument's sake, for your campaigning, then the onus is on both of us as the dual disclosure dictates that we now have to say what this would actually amount to monetarily. You're not going to fill out on the form, I've only donated 10 cars. You have to say what these 10 cars actually amount to. And the interesting thing here is that this could also be space to be perhaps underhanded because the IEC will take what you put there at face value. So if I say 10 cars, um, it, it, it costs me 10,000 rand, then that is what they will accept. It's only upon the receipt of a written complaint to say, actually, Robin did something wrong here. That accounting is actually incorrect. Please investigate. If they don't receive that, then they are going to accept that 10 cars only cost 10,000 rand, when we very obviously know that that is not the case. So that is a bit of a sticking point with the in-kind donations is that that may not line up accurately with what the costing is you are supposed to provide obviously the correct evidence for that but that there could be a space where some some underhandedness could possibly take place but the dual disclosure is meant to make sure that there's a check and balance but ultimately even with the normal cash donations unless somebody is actually making a complaint to the IEC that they think something essentially fishy is going on with this donation they will accept the donation as true at face value, and that is how it will be reported. And, um, I mean, we could also assume that the likelihood of somebody making such a report um, is very low. You you say, Robin, uh, underhanded or fishy. Um, I must say, for me, it, it smells awfully a lot like corruption. Nikki, from Corruption Watch's perspective, um, going forward our eyes on the elections 2024 and everything else that is happening on the uh, party funding. What are your next steps going to be? Great question. We consider advocacy really, really important in respect of independent candidates, actually. Uh, we haven't touched on those. Uh, provision of the PPFA is silent on independent candidates. The Electoral Amendment Act likewise does not regulate donations to independent candidates or compel candidates to disclose donations. Amendments are therefore really, really critical to make the PPFA um, cater for those independents 
whilst independent candidates are currently not represented in Parliament, the Act applies to all registered political parties, whether represented in the national um, and provincial legislature or not. Similarly, individuals still running for office ought to have the same standard applied. The second thing that we'll be looking at, you know, we'll be taking a firm and definitive stance against the amendments to increase the reporting threshold and to do away with the donations cap. You know, the Act and its regulated threshold is intended to limit the influence of wealthy private entities and protect the independence of political parties. To proceed with an amendment in expanding the donations threshold really would be backward looking. Um, and we, we, in fact, hold the view, um, similarly to my own counts, that the, the 100k reporting threshold, in fact, should be lowered. Thirdly, as and where appropriate, we'll be undertaking advocacy efforts on various amendments that we consider necessary to the bill. The the opportunity to see the bill in action over the last two years and various recommendations emanating from Zondo uh, show that amendments to the bill are still required. One of the things um, that came out was Zondo, the Zondo Commission report states that the PP, PPFA does not go as far as it should insofar as the quid pro quo donations are concerned. And this is actually a statement that we unequivocally agree with. The Act does not expressly prohibit the acceptance of donations directly through the party or to a person linked to it with quid pro quo expectations for a donation, for a tender, contract or license. One would have to rely on other anti-corruption legislation for a prosecution of this nature. So we'll be advocating for the Act to be amended to include criminalization of donations on the expectation of or to grant procurement tenders or contracts as a reward for recognition of such grants um, having been made. You know, another thing that we'll be looking at just is the advocating for the, uh, that the fines and criminal penalties that are imposed through the Act be, be really be commensurate to the societal damage that this quid pro quo arrangement is causing. So what is clear is, is how financially far-reaching the consequences of corruption and stage ca capture can be you know, the devastating effects bribery can have on, on socioeconomic rights and the economy, you know, you know, what we need to really do, we have to look at the schedule of fines that is in the schedule one of the act. The fines that are permissible range from a meager 40k to a million rand for repeat offenders and, and really do pale in comparison to the amount of pillaging from state coffers over the years, you know, um, mm. in, in so far as the quid pro quo is concerned. And if criminal penalties for quid pro quo donations were to be incorporated in, into the Act, it is recommended that the, the penalties have significant financial implications. Basically, the fines really need to hurt. And then lastly, we, we are going to, of course, continue to keep a close eye on the disclosures list, our political parties reporting, our don uh, donors reporting, so that we can continue to investigate the links between political party donations and the influence that these donations have over the political agenda and the business of our country. Of course. And, you know, with all these efforts that you are doing, these also do not take place in isolation. And as we can see with the collaboration with other civil society organizations and interested parties, quite in front of the charge, uh, my word counts, you, you've had a busy week. You filed papers at the Western Cape High Court this week on the PPFA. What are your next steps going to be, Robin? Well, it'll be precisely, I think, centered first and foremost around our legal action. As I'm sure most of you will know, the legal process can take some time. But really, I think our affidavit speaks to a lot of the issues that we have brought 
up here today, particularly around the threshold amounts. Um, for us, the one of the things that we are challenging is the 100,000 rand threshold. We are asking that this, in fact, be done away with. And we do have the um, disclosure of all private funding information. We are also asking that the 15 million rand upper limit be lowered. And we are also asking for the act to expressly talk to and to place limitations uh, uh, around um, related donors, as in the example that Nikki gave, um, as in the example that I also gave with the Oppenheimer family, um, with Patrice as well, so that again we can cut off those opportunities for corruption to take place. So a lot of our efforts will be focused on that in collaboration with our other civil society partners as well as we try to build um, a greater public awareness and advocacy campaign as we look towards 2024 and elections. As Nikki mentioned as well, it's really important that the ordinary public understand that the party funding law not only is really significant, but also it is crucial to making sure that our democracy actually works in the way that we want to do. It's really the key for us to be able to hold our public representatives to account. We already have a long established history of not having our politicians being as responsive as they should be. So this piece of legislation is really important for that. Upcoming for us as well is continued research around public funding. This is the other side of the funding coin, so to speak. And this also deserves attention, recompense of what's happening with private funding. So I mentioned that what we see with the party funding law is only as it relates to private funding. There's still this whole other section around public funding where we also need to have a discussion around how best public funds can be used to also further the goals of accountability and transparency. We would also have to have the conversation around how can we have the party funding law also talk to independent candidates I mean, that provision is now being made for in the electoral law. And so we would have to have party funding um, speak to that as well. You have the represented political parties fund that falls under the party funding law and it's administered by the IEC. So if we were to have any independent candidates in the national or provincial legislature, they would also be eligible for that, should be. And so that also needs to be taken into account with the party funding law as well. Thank you for that, Robin. And yes, indeed, if we look at public funding for 2023, we have roughly 1.87 billion rand being allocated to political parties um, from parliament and, and the provincial legislatures. So that is an entire different road that we can go down in our analysis. And, you know, as we have all seen, how these are reported on are also very questionable. Nikki from Corruption Watch and Robin from My Vote Counts, thank you so much for availing yourselves um, to discuss the Political Party Funding Act and, and hopefully to provide more insight uh, to everybody's understanding of what it means and why it matters and why we should keep our eyes on this in light of the elections next year. It's our 30th year um, of our democracy, and it's going to be a very important election for all of us.
You've listened to an Outer podcast. Uh, this is brought to you by Outer. We are publicly funded, and if you like our work, please support our work. Thank you very much to our guests as well, uh, Nikki van Driet from Corruption Watch, Rachel Fisher, the Parliamentary Engagement and Research Manager at Outer, and Robin Pesensi from My Vote Counts, also doing excellent work, and we urge our supporters to please support civil society organizations doing such important work. Thank you very much for your time.